All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, back in the ancestral home time, new floors time, new season time, whatever time of day it is. It's the right time for the Govals 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. We, we actually are in there. I, I can confirm it. Can't believe it, but it finally happened. I walked in the house today and was like, what? Are, where? I didn't see it in the sunroom. And I was like, are we back in the studio? I was not ready for it, to be honest with you. We're back. It's nice. Although, I wanted to get everything done, like finish up all the painting on the door and put some of the new uh, signage up around here, uh, plug in a few more things. But we got the important stuff back in here. Should tell you also that uh, the worthless Grant Ramey will be on in the final segment of this podcast. He and I have some football and some hoops nuggets to discuss from a a productive weekend he had on that front. Uh, I'll refer you back also to the main topic at hand, which is that Bryce Thompson, Tennessee's one of Tennessee's best football, football players, has been suspended indefinitely for a very unfortunate alleged incident that occurred over the weekend. Uh, we have a full or a breaking news podcast, a maybe good 14, 15 minute discussion on that, that we released on Monday. You can go get that there if you want to. We will have to mention that a little bit in this podcast, but the nuggets, uh, the main nuts and bolts from that we discussed in yesterday's episode. Fellas, how are we? We're good. Braves are hot. Yeah, they of course, they might good. lose Monday. After it's, we record this, but it's uh, it's football season, guys. And, and Liverpool beat Arsenal on Saturday, I'm, so that's pretty cool, right, Wes? Yeah, Saturday was a really, really fun <laughs> sports day for me. I enjoyed every bit of it. I, I woke up, uh, had a nice breakfast, lounged around for a bit. Actually, not nice breakfast. We're eating cardboard still. But I, I had a breakfast of cardboard and then watched Arsenal. Play uh, like cardboard. Play like cardboard for at least the final 50 or 55 minutes of that game. Lost 3-1. Uh, at reigning liver reigning European champions Liverpool, and, and then uh, I watched the Cubs uh, lose again to the Nationals, uh, which they did. That was a theme throughout the weekend, by the way. <laughs> the Nationals. The Nationals have been they're playing pretty good baseball. Nationals, have but been, not getting any ground on the Braves. They're cu- hitting the cover off the ball. The, it's like the Braves are kind of keep winning these close games, and the Nats just keep killing people. But we'll we'll have plenty to discuss on that in a little bit, guys. Tennessee football season, it's here. We're also going to discuss, by the way, uh, a comment that was made by someone in Patrick's family that that hurt my feelings, and we're going to just discuss that a little bit later. But on to the football. Fellas, uh, Tennessee plays Georgia State this weekend at Neyland Stadium, an actual 11-on-11 tackle football game between two teams wearing different uniforms. And let's all hope that it's aesthetically more pleasing than the Florida-Miami game was I was just about about to say, I mean, that's an example of why – I mean, the, the practice schedule being limited and stuff these days, I don't know what it is, but season openers just seem to be sloppier than ever these yeah. days. I and think both teams were point-shaving. That's my theory. <laughs> That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Both teams made really good efforts to try to lose. It's like, you know, Rasheed Wallace, both teams played hard. Yeah. Both teams tried to lose. You but, know what, though? I'll caution Tennessee fans against this. Don't assume that means Tennessee's going to have a great chance yeah, of beating Florida yeah. or beat Florida. Florida. Florida I haven't, haven't seen the Vols yet. Let's yeah. keep that in mind. And we don't know. Miami might be really good, too. Florida know. had 10 sacks. That, too. That would scare me if I'm if and, I'm a Tennessee fan with that offensive line being yep. unknown right and now. And got to stop late despite its best pass rusher not being out there. So, My favorite part of that game was the pass interference penalty on 4th and 34 in the final minutes. That would have gone down in history as one of the ultimate 
that would have been one of the, uh, to quote the old major, was it Major League Movie? It was like the old Trojan Ends Boner of the Week award. That's what that would have been. That would not have been, that would have been a prime candidate. Like you, you would have given up the cat. You could have given up the cash, and he would have been 10 yards short, but you grabbed him and you get a penalty. It's, it's just, that was my favorite part of that game. Ladies and gentlemen, college football. It is wonderful. It is wild. And sometimes it is really ugly. But hey, that's why. One of the reasons why we love it. Tennessee playing Georgia State, and we will have more on Georgia State later in the week. We'll, we'll, we'll get to know the Panthers a bit, but uh, there are the Panthers, right? I didn't make that, that up. That is accurate. Oh, the Panthers. Okay, good. That would have been a bad we, start. We've seen them before. They, they came to Neyland Stadium, what, seven, eight years ago? 2012. Yeah. So uh, that, was, that was the Derek Dooley era. I know a lot of people blocked that one out, but this is not Georgia State's first rodeo at, at Neyland Stadium. How could we forget that? But Tennessee's uh, depth chart was released. We'll have a full segment on the depth chart coming up after the break here in a little bit, but there are some news and notes we need to get to first. We did discuss Bryce Thompson. Again, we'll refer to you to the Monday episode there. Uh, but another interesting name, another uh, former top prospect, uh, Malik Gray, who came to Tennessee as a touted safety from the Nashville area, and now he is gone after playing wide receiver and defensive back at Tennessee couldn't ever really find a home and now he is at a junior college uh, meaning he is no longer enrolled at the University of Tennessee and uh, he's uh, he's not a vol VFL but not a vol anymore that's right he's uh, he's at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College uh, th- this happened actually I think I think at least a few days ago uh, and then sort of just popped up in, in Mississippi maybe over the weekend but regardless he is he is settling in there and getting ready to play this season and, and we'll see if he can catch on at another four-year school after this season, sounds like he, you know, he's a redshirt sophomore. So not often you see guys transfer to junior colleges, you know, after a couple of years in a program. But he, I guess he has, you know, maybe he's at a point where he can get the credit hours he needs, get his associate degree, and and move on somewhere else after after the fall semester. So that's his hope, and and we'll see how it works out for him. But obviously, it makes sense on multiple fronts. You know, Tennessee didn't seem to have him as a big part of its plans on on offense, and he had bounced around. To, multiple spots and never really found a home. And for Gray, I'm sure he'd love to be somewhere where he can find more playing time than was available to him at Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, a lot of people were waiting to see him kind of do something. He was former, what, top 100, four-star guy. Yep. Obviously, he had to hold off, I think, Florida State late to get mm-hmm. him or to mm-hmm. hold on to him. Sure did. State guy. And so, you know, uh, I think fans are naturally attracted to those, see how those players are doing, the highly the highly touted guys, especially if they're from uh, from Tennessee. But he he – you know, played what three positions, safety, corner, wide receiver with two different coaching staffs and never really made much noise. So, um, not really, so not really a whole, not really a big surprise that he, he's decided to move on and try to get a fresh start somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. He's a good athlete, but I, I think there were questions about just how fluid he was and, and the, the kind of quick twitch stuff. I think that, that kept him off the field a little bit. He's a good athlete uh, that maybe didn't have like a, a positional that yeah. he was really the most yes. natural at. Here, here's, that makes sense. Here's the, doesn't, though. the thing about Gray, he, a lot in a lot of ways was kind of the same player as like a sophomore in high school that he is now. And that is, you know he's a good enough athlete that you were sort of projecting earlier in his high school career that, hey, this guy's going to be really good at something because you assumed he was going to get bigger, going to get faster, all those things. And I think he sort of just leveled off at a certain point. I don't know when it was and and never really settled into a spot and never really became known for playing any certain position. You know, he was rated a safety. A lot of people talked about that, but he never played safety in high school. So you were sort of projecting that because he was 190. 90 pound outside linebacker in high school, essentially played some receiver also. Um, so you've, you've been looking for a spot to sort of use that athleticism, but just for whatever reason, it's, it's never really taken hold of any certain position. And you see that sometimes guys who are good athletes, but not 
you know, at least not early in their careers, maybe not great football players. And, and Gray right now probably fits that description, but there's enough to work with there that I don't think you count him out entirely. It's just going to have to happen somewhere else now, obviously not Tennessee. Yeah, and there's a couple other things we need to discuss here, and uh, we'll get to, to Trey Smith and Aubrey Solomon here in a second, but I, I want to first mention this, Daniel Batuli. Uh, Tennessee's uh, reigning back-to-back leader in tackles, a guy who is uh, right there in the heart of the defense, a guy who calls the defense, a guy who the coaches really like, and a, a guy who, if we're being honest here, is a six foot three, two 252-pound really good linebacker. So uh, he's a guy who is really important to Tennessee's defense, and he had a knee procedure. Uh, I don't know if you call it a scope, arthroscopic, whatever you want to call it. He got it cleaned up. Uh, about a week ago, and, and they said maybe 10 or 12 days or whatever was, was well, the recovery time. It was 10 to 17. It was one of the most random yeah. timetables I've probably so ever random, heard. So random that it probably was accurate. A week and a half to two and a half <laughs> Dr. Jeremy Pruitt saying yeah. it's 10 to 17 days. Dr. Pruitt, 10 to 17 uh, days. Yeah, he's, he'd been – we'd kind of seen him in and out of practice. I think he went in the second scrimmage. I, I think he did. Or no, I think he went in the first scrimmage and maybe was held out I, a second scrimmage. I think that's right. Yeah, um, and we and, saw this early in camp that he did, didn't quite feel right. He looked like he was walking around kind of gimpy. He didn't do a lot of drills. Um, and so I think early last week they determined to kind of clean up the knee, to try to alleviate some of the soreness, some of the pain that he was there. Uh, I, I I don't think he's going to play against Georgia State. I would not play him against Georgia State. I think you need him for uh, the longer term than you need him. Uh, against the Panthers, yeah, uh, reps reps are good for everybody, yeah. but but he's okay. To and, miss. and that's a position where I think they might be like okay, um, at least for maybe a one game stretch because they've got you know Henry Toa Toa, Toa is going to start. He's going to be really good. Um, and I made this comment earlier. It was good he he didn't go to Alabama because they got already got a freshman starting at linebacker too. Nope. Uh, and Christian Harris. So, uh, but he he's probably going to start play a lot. Willig, not a guy that I, I think should be better than he was last season. And Shannon Reed. He's got to go out there and do it in a game. I think he's a guy that they trust and know they can depend on. Beyond that, well, I don't think they're – we'll see how the, kind of they develop. But they've got three guys there that if Batuli's out for a game or two that uh, – They'll be I think, okay. That I think they'll be okay. Yeah, but the reason why they don't know for sure that they're going to be okay is that they have, again, started practicing Jeremy Banks with the linebackers. And That's a nice segue. This is a kid who – uh, thank you. Well, we try to be hashtag professionals, big J journalists here at, at the Cobalt 24-7 podcast. But when, when you look at Jeremy Banks, you're talking about a kid who was 6'1", 225, 230, somewhere in that range, just a really good-looking athlete, uh, and a guy who Jeremy Pruitt said point blank is one of the team's best football players. Uh, I find he, that hard to believe when he's behind three other running backs. But I mean, I think there's just. But I think he's. I think there's a point he's trying to make there that he thinks the pure like football player, player yeah. that yeah. this kid just needs to be on the field somewhere, and he still is on the running back depth chart. Um, but and he's the biggest body there, so he's a guy who can give him something different. But I, I think that's the other thing too is you can always it inside linebacker again though. Yeah, but you can always move him back to running back. I think that's the thing to keep in mind here is that it doesn't really hurt your depth necessarily because if you get a guy hurt, you're just moving back to offense and that's that. But for now they are kind of shorthanded at, at linebacker more so than people might think just based on, you know, who they've recruited in the, that position the last couple of years, you know, JJ Peterson is not a guy that looks like he's in line for a major role just yet. So without, you know, they, they moved Aaron Beasley over there on a, you know, at least a part-time basis, it looks like, or, or a situational role kind of, such uh, situation for him going into this season where he can play as, as a money backer maybe and you know nickel dime packages that kind of thing so you know what where where he can fit in you know we'll we'll see but I think he's he's intriguing enough you know they worked in there enough last year I think they liked his potential at linebacker but you know can Banks overtake some of those guys that you know the Will Ignatz the Shannon Reeds I don't know that he can do that but 
they, they tried to get him on the field some last year, and I, I can't rule out that we might see him at some point this year. It'll be hard to, for him to beat those guys out in, in short order. Remember, he only spent, I think, two weeks of practice there, so he doesn't yeah. have a whole lot of time as a linebacker. And, and my concern with Banks as a linebacker is um, you kind of have to are going to have to harness some of that energy. Um, and, and I think Pruitt talked about this last year. Yeah, you can't make mental busts there. You, can't, you can have all the energy and the juice or whatever in, in the world, but if you're playing linebacker, you got to know where to go and you got to know where you got to be able to anticipate and have instincts about where the ball is going to be and where you need to be. And so I think uh, that, that's adjust, an adjustment Banks is going to have to make. But uh, again, he's a guy that the staff really, I think, thinks highly of, and they're just trying to need to get him in a, in a position. And I, I think it's probably smart, Ryan, like you said, to play him at linebacker because you can work him there get him used to there and if if something happens to any of the three guys that are going to be ahead of him at running back you can you can always move him back over there like like they did for a game last season so i think you know he, he knows the offense probably by now he knows you know here we're gonna hand you the ball run to this hole i'm not saying running back's a complicated position i'm not i'm not saying it's an easy position but it's it's probably less complicated than inside linebacker so the, work him at inside y- linebacker yeah, and kind of go from there it's complicated in terms of learning your blocking schemes but other than that it's you know, here's where you run. Yeah. Here's the, here here's where you run. Here's where you know. I mean, there's it's not the the right on the flat. Thing. We'll throw you the ball. <laughs> the other thing people, people are, miss. The thing people are going to be wondering, of course, with that hasn't been said. Obviously, but people I'm sure will wonder: Is this because he's struggling with ball security again, as he was last year? And maybe that's maybe that's part of it. We, we don't know, but I think the need they just have a potential need at linebacker I, might be more what it is. They, and, I mean, and, they have a need at both, honestly. I mean, and, they, and Air Gray too. Yeah, well, I mean, throw they, them out there. But they still don't have that bigger back that we know Jeremy Pruitt has wanted, and, and he still could be that guy. Maybe and he doesn't want him anymore. Maybe he doesn't want any big backs anymore. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, it's interesting though because I I wonder really quickly here about any time a guy bounces back and forth like that. Maybe I've just seen this a few times in 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 my career doing this, and and it always gives me a little bit of hesitation because you wonder if that stunts growth. Um, that's that's a concern that I have, uh, but I'm not claiming that I know 10% about football that Jeremy Pruitt knows, so he probably knows what he's doing here, but I just think we have to mention that if a guy's moving around that much, you wonder if you're going to get a little paralysis by analysis there. Are you stunting growth? That's well, just a, a concern. that In my in my head, at least, yeah. that's a concern. And that's sometimes you get into this position, I think, when, when you're rebuilding a program. We've seen this with Guys not getting red shirts in the past. You know, when it looked like it was going to be a problem for Marcus Tatum getting thrown in there as a true freshman and plenty of other Tennessee linemen that, that got thrown in too early. You know, this is what you do when you're rebuilding a program. You move guys around to fill needs um, when you ideally wouldn't have to do that. And you could just worry about making the best decision for the player's future. And you and you throw guys in there before they're ready sometimes. So uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, is, is this a chicken or egg thing, you know, with Jeremy Banks? Is it because he's not working out at running back? Or is it because Tennessee needs him at linebacker? I think that we'll find out over time probably, but right now it's hard to say for sure. And, you know, two really interesting names that popped up on that depth chart were uh, Trey Smith and Aubrey Solomon, both names listed on the depth chart, which is interesting because so far as we know, Smith has not been cleared to play in a game as of Monday afternoon anyway, so we'll see. But he was able to apparently get cleared for a couple practices in camp, so that's – that's very interesting. See, that makes the, you believe even more that he's getting close. But the thing about that is, is that could be really vague. Like, was it a practice where they were in like shorts? You know, they weren't really doing any actual hitting. You know, that that's sort of the the disclaimer I would throw on that. That said, you, you know, Jeremy Pruitt calling him a game time decision makes me think he's going to play. As has Trey preparing most of the entire preseason like he's going to play. So, yep. uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying Sharpie it in yet, but I would at this point I'm sort of anticipating that Trey will be in the lineup, but. 
that's obviously a very fluid situation and could change. Do, do you guys buy the conspiracy theory that's been flown out, floated out there on social media and elsewhere that Tennessee already has clearance, already knows Trey Smith is going to play and is just not announcing it for whatever reason? I don't know what the reason to not announce it would be, though. That's that's my yeah, issue I don't with really that either. is there's no reason. I mean, do you think like you're going to wait and then tell the team at the last minute and they're going to get all fired up or something? I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I. I I think he's going to play at some point. I think he's going to play fairly soon. I don't know if I'm where I am about regarding him playing against Georgia State, but I mean, I, it's infinitely more possible than I would have told you a few months ago. So it, it's here. It's they feel like they're really close to getting this thing figured out. And for his sake, I I hope they do. For the team's sake, I hope so. But more so for for Trey Smith's health, I really, really, really hope so that uh, that they've gotten this thing right. I'm I'm, I'm with Patrick on this one. Sorry, Patrick, uh, but I I think. I changed my mind, <laughs> but but the fact that he's the fact that Jeremy Pruitt is talking in terms of a game time decision suggests to me that they they have a decent idea that he might be able to play at the very least. So I, I think he's I think we'll probably see him out there on Saturday if I had to guess right now. The other side of of the ball there, Aubrey Solomon, a guy who we've discussed ad nauseum the past several months, his situation still in limbo. And what was interesting was on Friday night, Jeremy Pruitt finally let loose a little bit and spoke about it and he hadn't done that before he'd been really measured and i don't think he came out guns blazing friday but he did come out and say point blank he does not think this situation is being fair right now to aubrey solomon and when i think you look at the fact that this has been what almost eight nine months now that something is off here that they need an answer one way or the other and i just for the life of me can't understand why this is still an issue uh, yeah, I, and uh, the other, Ryan, you brought, you brought up conspiracy theories. Um, the, the new one of the week, uh, last week was that Michigan is um, is, is foiling yes. Aubrey Solomon's chances of playing. And, and, and Pruitt's comments lend, lended a little well, bit of credence yeah, to I, that. I was going to say, he basically <laughs> insinuated that Michigan hasn't really done a whole lot to help Solomon's case, and there's also a couple of cases, I don't know the guys, uh, names of these players, I think it was one at Georgia Tech yep. who got denied. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his parents came out to the uh, AJC, the Atlanta, Atlanta Journal Constitution, said Michigan basically didn't do anything to help him. And, uh, and I think there's a guy in Cincinnati, maybe too, that, that yeah. Arbaugh and Luke Fickle have kind of been going back and forth publicly about. Um, and so Pruitt kind of, you know, he I think somebody asked him point blank, you know, it, what is you know what is Michigan's involvement, or is there is there any reason to believe that they're part of the reason that it's taken so long? And he kind of dodged it, but he also was saying that. You know, for all of Tennessee's outgoing guys that he wrote letters on their behalf saying that they should be uh, eligible. And Tennessee had a few guys leave, but uh, and, and I think you well, know, I, I, I think in, in I, Will McBride's case, he went down. There were a couple of guys that were graduate transfers that were going to be cleared anyway. But he he, he brought up Markwell Osborne, who uh, was a junior after last season, right? He was going to be a senior this year. I don't think he graduated because he enrolled at Charlotte in May. He had a mm-hmm. uh, had a had a I think a child on the way with his girlfriend. Yes, um, and he got cleared. Not you know. Pruitt's letter may not have done anything, you know, done anything about it, but just certainly, the gesture, certainly didn't hurt. But him bringing up the gesture, saying that, hey, here's a situation where I'm for transfers. You know, I understand it's part of the game, and so I'm going to, you know, kind of always err on the side of the players and saying, here, here's what I did for some of our outgoing guys. Sort of to me, pretty plainly is insinuating that Michigan is not doing the same level of help trying to get Aubrey Solomon cleared at Tennessee. And, yep. and, I, and I've been asking lots of people at, at Tennessee, what is making this and, and we don't know that that's situation n- unique? Like, what, what, what is it about this? Why is it that y'all feel so confident and have for the entire time? And they didn't do that with everybody. With D'Angelo Gibbs, they knew SEC East, SEC East. He had some issues 
behaving in different ways at Georgia. So Tennessee sort of understood from the beginning that, okay, D'Angelo Gibbs is going to redshirt. We understand that. But they felt pretty good about Aubrey Solomon being able to play. And I, I keep asking them what is holding it up, and they won't tell me exactly what it is. But I have heard from Tennessee that they have no reason to believe that when they submitted this was late. They don't think that that was an issue at all. Um, now, again, they're just telling me that, but that's, that's what they've told me. They don't think there was an issue there. Uh, they're not aware of any major uh, behavioral issues that Solomon had at Michigan that could be holding this up. They're, they don't know why it's taking as long as it has. Now, there are there people in the building who think that Michigan's holding it up? 100% absolutely, and and yes, there are. And it's plausible. There are people who believe that. Now, they won't say that on the record, but there are people who believe that. I have no proof. I have no evidence, so I can't say one way or the other. But uh, well, I, I'm we known, know Harbaugh's an interesting guy. I, I'm a known Harbaugh hater, so I think he's definitely he's he's definitely <laughs> screwing it up. He's an interesting guy with an interesting code. <laughs> he, he's out there starting a transfer at quarterback, but he's not letting his guys transfer and be eligible. Yeah, and I think that's kind of coach he is. I think we need to to give full credit to Pruitt <laughs> on this. You talk about being consistent. This guy is as consistent as it gets on this topic. Even if players are leaving his program, he is pro transfer not for everybody but in general he was a transfer himself and he played a couple years at mtsu but he always wanted to play at alabama that was his dream growing up and so he he wanted to do that and he transferred and he became a walk-on at bama and he did that so uh, i understand why he feels the way he does i think it's it's good i think it's something that could help tennessee in the recruiting trail i think players and their parents understand that this guy is pro student athlete he just is and I think that's a good thing for Tennessee. But the bottom line is they are going to prepare as if Aubrey Solomon is eligible, and then they're going to adjust later in the week if he's not. It's it's a great thing to be able to sell in recruiting, too, at the very least, that Jeremy Pruitt continues to get this stuff out there that portrays him at the very least as pro-player, pro-transfer, all those things. An advocate, if you will. Yeah, and uh, that you know, to, to some players, not to all, but certainly to some players who think about those kinds of things, that, that will resonate and suggest that he's a pretty genuine guy who has players' best interests in, in, at heart. It's something to at least put out there, and yeah, even if nothing comes of it, and even if Aubrey Solomon doesn't get cleared to play this year, that, that message is now out there to anybody who's listening, and, and we'll see if it helps them. Speaking of genuine things, guys, do we genuinely like products? For the most part. Do we genuinely enjoy services? Got to have them. Do we generally and genuinely enjoy a good, you know, the occasional ad for another podcast in the CBS Sports family of podcast networks here that, that, that we like? Do we like that? Strongly agree. Yeah. And I got good news on all three of those fronts. Hashtag ad. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Govals 24-7 podcast. West Rucker, Ryan Callahan, Patrick Brown coming to you here from Fort Rucker Studio. Guys, we've discussed a little bit about some of the things on this Tennessee depth chart. Now I think it's time to discuss the depth chart in full because I got to tell you, and this was not a prepared remark, by the way. I got accused on Twitter of this, of people saying it was a prepared remark. It was not. I just thought of it that this has more oars than a Greek trireme. 
Than a what? A Greek trireme. Do you not know what a Greek trireme is? No. What is that? Explain it to me. Give me a history lesson, old man. In ancient Greece, around that time, their boats were called triremes, and it's not like they had cannons or anything. Are they like the old Viking boats? The uh, long boats? They have some of those qualities, but the bottom line is, in those day and age, you didn't, you can't shoot thing at anybody else. You maybe had some arrows and stuff like that, but really what you wanted to do was you wanted to take your ship and, and like just ram it through another ship and destroy that ship. And that's the trireme was built for speed to really just kind of put a gash in an opponent's vessel. Uh, but bottom line is they had a lot of oarsmen on there. And Tennessee's depth chart, this is perhaps the most oars I have ever seen on a depth chart. And I'm going to tell you, if you're going to do something, anything you do is worth doing right. And they are committed to the oar theory here. And I'm impressed. It is the most uh, vague depth chart in the history of depth charts, I think. That they just they just didn't try on the offensive or defensive line. They said there are no starters or backups. <laughs> They're just all there in bold. Uh, I, I do think I will say that I think the defensive line. There's actually like legitimacy to that. Yes, because, I think so. Uh, the head coach is on the record saying, oh, there's not a lot of separation between these guys." Um, and Pruitt said Monday, "We're going to play a lot of bodies. They could they could play ten guys. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, we'll see if Solomon's there. The only the only scholarship guys that are not listed on the defensive line are." Image Gooden, who's hurt, and Karat Garland, who just come at, just came out of the portal, and Garland looked like he was running with the twos yeah. on Friday. So, he he, I mean, he he unportaled. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, the, you know, the defensive line they're going to rotate. The offensive line that was just a big old shrug emojis. What that was, <laughs> they, they literally have, uh, and, and fortunately, all five positions. It's unbelievable. Every line of scrimmage position on both sides. I will give them credit though; they didn't list guys at multiple positions, which. Also says to me is still is still that's still on the table too because I think what Carvin is Jerome Carvin's listed as, as as a potential starter at center. There's probably more likely he plays guard against Georgia State than center. And Ryan Johnson's been listed as a, an or at right guard, and we know he's played a ton of center. So and yeah, I mean it's just it's it's kind of it's I don't want to say it's funny. The funniest thing about the actual depth chart is that Jeremy Banks is still listed as running back. When he's and ahead of Eric Gray. <laughs> when he's practicing at linebacker. And ahead of Eric Gray, who's probably had one of the best camps of any uh, of any Tennessee's freshman, and there's a, some real competition for uh, for that title. Now, we should say that there were a couple places on offense where they didn't have oars. Uh, they did not have an oar at tight end, as you would expect. Dominic Wood Anderson is the starter there. Uh, wide receiver, they did not – they resisted the urge to go oar on the wide receivers. They named Jawan Jennings, Josh Palmer, and Marquez Callaway, the three starters there. Uh, not not a real surprise there. Jared Garantano, starting quarterback. Hey, there you go. They didn't. They did bracket behind him though. Shroud and 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 Maurer are bracketed as the number two. And Pruitt admitted there's no answer there yet, and kind of what we thought it would be. And you know, honestly, I don't think any of us would have batted an eye if the running back depth chart said Chandler or Jordan uh, as the starter, and it just went ahead and mentioned Ty Chandler. So that was perhaps the biggest upset because they really could have gone or there, and they didn't. That'll be a three man kind of deal. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. there'll be there'll be situations where they have uh, probably two guys on the field at the same time. Yeah, defensive line's interesting because it lists uh, a total of ten fellas uh, as potential starters on the defensive front. Uh, in case you're curious, uh, Emerson, Harris, and Simmons are the three potential starters on the nose. At one D-line spot, they've got Darrell Middleton, John Mincy, and Jaquane Blakely. Uh, and at the other D-line spot, they've got Matthew Butler, Aubrey Solomon, Latrell Bumpus, and Savion Williams. So they're all – all ten of those names I just listed are, are starters, apparently. And then at the jack position there, um, the, the big linebacker on the edge, uh, DeAndre Johnson uh, and Kevon Bennett are bracketed there. 
the uh, the defensive line, I think the, the top three we've seen throughout most of the preseason in limited viewing has been Emerson in the middle, Middleton, and Aubrey Solomon on, yep. uh, at the end positions. Uh, and when Solomon was not present for the part of practice that we saw on Friday, now apparently he did begin practicing at some point after we left, but the front, the, the first three was Emerson in the middle, uh, Middleton, and then Savion Williams, uh, who's been, I don't want to say quiet, but he was a guy that a lot of, you know, he may end up starting, but I think Matthew um, Butler's had a decent camp too. But yeah, but the, the point of the matter is, is that Pruitt said we're on Monday. So it was like we're playing a lot of bodies. We don't, we don't have. There's not a lot of separation. Uh, but something he did say about the defensive line is that he thinks they've really improved from where they were in the spring. And, and I remember those first few spring practices, they it sounded like he was really concerned. There were some like legitimate concerns about where they were. Of course, they didn't have a lot of the new guys in at that point. But um, he, he thinks they'll continue to get better throughout the season and. Um, so I, I think they're going to be banking at least early in the season until some of these guys separate themselves and get some experience because, I mean, none of these guys play. There's going to be – if Solomon's playing, there'll be four guys that'll be making their – playing for the first time for Tennessee. A couple of those guys were tight ends last year. Um, so it, as they get some of these guys' experience, see what they can do, you might see some more separation. But he thinks this is a group that will get better throughout the season. But early on, I think they're going to be kind of hoping that quantity is sort of their way of getting quality, if that makes sense. And I, and I think this is one of those positions where you – I think they probably have an idea of who they think might be their best guys, but they're so unproven that you can't just assume that. I mean, Terrell Middleton really might be – He looks like a best guy, but yeah. until you see him play, you don't really know. And when you're still coaching physicality and toughness and all those things uh, during camp, you, you have some concerns there. So, yeah, I think they have a guess right now who their four or five best guys might be, but you've got to see it on the field first. And the bottom line, too, is – these guys, just like with Tennessee's offensive line, it's tough to gauge right now because they're playing against each other. So you don't really know what you have because your offensive line is still a huge wild card. Your defensive line is really unproven. Is either of those units any good? You've got to kind of play other teams to really find out. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that along the the linebacker core there, we did mention already that DeAndre Johnson and Kevon Bennett are listed as co-starters at Jack. Uh, there at the other outside linebacker spot, that's one of the few non-ors uh, on the, the defensive roster. Daryl Taylor listed there as the one, and, and Quavar's couch as the two. Uh, the two inside positions, though, they are bracketed. Uh, I don't think they would have bracketed Batuli uh, if he were healthy, but right now it says Batuli or Ignat, so let's just that, say that. That could be a sign that that's going to be a rotation because they rotated four guys at, at inside linebacker yeah, last season. They're, bo- they're both going to play. They're both going to play. There's no Remember, question. Remember, Batuli can help outside too when he's healthy. So on you know in pass rushing situations, yeah, you he's might a good see pass him, rusher. You might see him slide there and play Ignat more because of that. And then uh, at the other uh, inside linebacker spot there at the will, uh, not surprised at all to see uh, Henry Toatoa and Shannon Reed as co-starters there. Both those guys have played a lot with the first team defense. Uh, I think both those guys have had really good summers. Uh, Shannon Reed was one of the the breakout performers in spring camp, and I think he's had another pretty good preseason camp he just kind of shows up every day and does his job and he's a good he, athlete and he, he runs and hits yeah he runs and he <laughs> he's hits a runner and a hitter that's two important things in jeremy pruitt's book right there uh corner we already mentioned plenty about that in the monday podcast but i'll go ahead and mention it again alante taylor is a for sure starter there at the one corner spot with uh, jared means behind him and then warren burrell and sean schamberger are bracketed that at tells the me other corner spot that tells me that schamberger is the star i think that's accurate that's uh, that would be the guess. Burrell has really not worked at star to our knowledge, right? He's kind of focused on outside corners, as far so. as I know. Yeah, that's so, yeah. that's what I've seen. 
Uh, and then at the safety spots, uh, as we've guessed all along, we, we guessed correctly on this one. Nigel Warrior obviously is one of them. And the other starter is uh, Trayvon Flowers, who's had a really good preseason camp, a really good offseason, physically looks a lot better. Uh, and, and so behind Flowers, you've got Labruza and Jalen McCullough. And then behind Warrior, you've got Jackson and Tyus Fields. So There's uh, one more or, Wes. There is one the more. The punter. Or. I was getting to the specialists. Well, okay. No, you go ahead and mention it. I like it. We'll get to this later. Why you should run point maybe more, but we'll go ahead. Go ahead right now and tell us who's the who's 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 bracketed at punter. Well, I just I just want to point out that punters are people too, and sometimes there's oars involved there. Punter, you. Um, my favorite part about typing out this this depth chart, by the way, uh, early Monday morning is that uh, your kickoff returner, you got two guys, and so after writing all these oars, I put Ty Chandler and Marquez Callaway. There you go. Not an oar there. That's that's an and. Yeah, that is that's true. That's a slash more than anything. And speaking of slashes, that's what Alabama they they have they've done away with the ore, those trendsetters. Really, the Crimson Tide. Yeah, they had their uh, Monday's their big depth chart day two first of the season. They probably get a, their media. I don't know how excited their media gets about it. I'm sure Nick Saban gets super excited. He loves you. Ask Nick Saban about depth charts. You're going to get chart. really happy. Um, but they they don't even they're not even wasting ink anymore on on typing out the word. O R. They're, they're, they're doing yeah. slashes. The, they're, the old backslash. They're streamlining things. It's all about efficiency. Those that extra <laughs> key, that extra keystroke yeah. that that takes up too much time. Hey, yeah, tre- trees are people too. We're spending money on on football stuff, not not ink for the for the game notes, guys. Uh, at the punter position, I teed up Pat to say this, but he didn't say it. Uh, Joe Doyle and Paxton Brooks have both been listed as punters. That's something that we've tried to follow a little bit through camp. They don't really do a lot with the punters in front of us, so it's kind of hard to see. It's. Funny yeah. how much that's changed. We saw the punters kick all the time. Every under, freaking under day. Under Butch Jones. And now under Jeremy Pruitt, we never see them do anything except some occasional kicking in the indoor facility as we're walking back through to leave practice. That's about all we ever see. And he has said consistently throughout camp that he likes both of those guys and that they're pushing each other, and he thinks that could be a battle for several years. So I, I think they're both sophomores. Based on what we've heard so far, if I had to guess, I think Paxton Brooks might be more likely to win the job this year. I think so, too. If you need one, if you're right there around midfield, though, Joe Doyle, you know what you're going to get. He can, he can, he's going to hang one up there, 40 yards, fair catch at the 10. Boom. Good luck to the offense. Yeah. I mean, there's something that are you suggesting they're going to have like a sky punter, situational punters. Yeah. I mean, they might, wasn't it? I mean, he he might, you know, hey, it's, it's a third of the game, right? It's interesting. Uh, Samaglia, by the way, Brent Samaglia, the junior, was listed by himself as the kicker with Paxton Brooks behind him. I imagine if they have to do something of the emergency 60-yard variety, they might let Brooks go out there and just YOLO, kick it as far as he can because uh, he's got a heck of a leg too. But Samagli is the kicker. Riley Lovingood, one of the best names in college football, will remain the long snapper. Uh, Joe Doyle, not bracketed at holder. He's just He's got that job. He won that job outright. Uh, and then at kick return, it is Chandler and Callaway. Punt return, it is Callaway. And kickoff, unsurprisingly, is Paxton Brooks by himself with some Aglia behind him. So, uh, guys, overall thoughts on the depth chart. Did, did we learn – what did we learn from this chart, if anything? Not a whole lot, honestly. Um, I saw some people saying, what's the point? Why, <laughs> why put out a depth chart if it's going to tell this little? But this, this is what coaches want it to be, right? They don't want it to reveal the the really difficult things that they're sorting out. And in some cases, you're keeping players happy by sort of listing them as co-starters when, when you know – you might know right now that you're going to play one guy a little bit more than another, but you're still listing them as co-starters in some cases just to sort of give them that recognition and and to say that both are going to play or whatever the case is. So – there are multiple reasons you do it this way, but yeah, I don't think we learned a whole lot. Uh, I was I was a little interested by Kevon Bennett being a co-starter with 
uh, with DeAndre Johnson. I thought Johnson might be listed as the starter there, but that at least it's understandable. Um, and then beyond that, you know, I, I, I really interesting that the wide, you know, the wide receivers caught so much attention with Jordan Murphy being left off the, uh, the depth chart. That he's, he's going to play, I think. Yeah, this, that would be a uh, Murphy not being on there would be a situation where I would say to people that maybe, maybe an oversight, maybe don't pay too much attention to yeah. that chart in that particular situation. Um, he's, still obviously, he's, he's still a playmaker. Obviously, we're recording this before practice. We're going to double check, make sure he's out there running routes yeah. when we go <laughs> yeah. see him on, on Monday afternoon, uh, and we'll we'll have practice observations yeah, if, for if, that. If, if we have to go in now and delete this part of this podcast <laughs> because we have to do a second breaking news podcast on Monday night, can uh, you? I, not going to be the happiest just, guy I know. Can you just have like a long beep, like you beep, beep out bad words? You just have a, like a 10-second beep. That's true. I have said before that the, uh, there's times in this podcast where I've wanted to go back and just randomly insert bleeps into things Ryan said. <laughs> so people would be like, why, why does Ryan have such a filthy mouth? Just every time he was going to say, beep, beep, beep. I think I, I've it, thought about it, but then I thought that's a lot of work. So I just said maybe don't pay attention to the depth chart. Another, another, and so I'm going to say where I – Something that caught my attention was Jared Means being yeah. you know, at corner, and he's probably not even making the depth chart if uh, not for Bryce Thompson's situation. But but Jeremy Pruitt had some interesting things to say about Means on on Mondays. Yeah, it might be kind a wide of, receiver. Yeah, long-term. saying that you know Jared wanted to play wide receiver, he probably will play wide receiver long term. But said you know this year, you know they thought his speed could help him give him some depth at corner. Now they may need you know we'll see how this Thompson situation plays out long term, but. Uh, he's a guy that maybe could get on the field to help as a you know a depth guy at corner can help on special teams. Uh, has had a really good attitude about playing a position that maybe he didn't want to play, and so uh, you, you know that seeing him there was kind of, not want to say a surprise to me, but I think it's notable. Well, one other thought I had, I mean, it's been almost a foregone conclusion because of how much we've talked about him in camp, but it was at least a debate maybe if Batuli was healthy and starting, but we now pretty much know. Henry Toto is going to be starting Tennessee season opener as an inside linebacker. Yeah, that puts him in some pretty rare company. I mean, you don't see that a lot. That's a tough position to start game one, and it looks like he's going to do that. He, he'd be the first since, what, A.J. Johnson? Had to be, yeah. Had so, to be. And, and before him, there there weren't many in the decade or two previous to that. So I'll, I'll go back to something that, that Pat said just a second ago um, that, that kind of – you know, caught my attention with, with means if you're a six, two wide receiver and you're really good, that's pretty good. If you're a good cornerback at six, two son, you're going to make a lot of money. I would get, if he can play the corner spot, if means can play the corner spot at a legit six, two, and he's a pretty good player there, you're an early round draft pick. If you're pretty good. I mean, that is, those guys are in demand across that's, the NFL because wide receivers are getting bigger and those big corners, you see some of those elite guys in the NFL, yeah. they're, at, they're at that size. They're hard to find. If he can really play that position at that size, something to think about. That's why it was really interesting to me that Jeremy Pruitt sort of took that off the table almost by saying in his Monday press conference, he, he came here wanting to play wide receiver and he's going to play there again. Essentially said you know, that it was pitched to Jared Means as, hey, can you help us here for a year? Uh, and he hadn't quite said it in those terms before. So everything he said this week about it certainly made it sound like the plan is not for means to stay there long term. That's just where they sort of had more of a need for him this year and more of a chance for him to play. And we'll see how it plays out. But you know how that goes. If it goes really well at corner and he plays some this year, you know, maybe he won't care if he stays at corner. Maybe they just keep him there and he no need to move back. Before we go to break, I do need to mention this, that – I really like the answer Pruitt gave about the backup quarterback situation when he said that between Trout and Maurer, that's just a question they don't have an answer for right now. Uh, and I like that answer even if they do have an answer because I'll tell you right now, if you know for sure that Garantano is your guy 
and they do, then what you need to do is keep those other guys engaged. And I, I'm not talking, I'm not saying lie to them because if one guy wins the competition for number two, good, good for him. Uh, Tennessee needs that. But if I'm the coaches, I'm not even sure I let the guy know if he's won the number two job because I want those two guys pushing each other every single day because you cannot, there is no way to simulate the pressure that an SEC starting quarterback is under, especially at a place like Tennessee, especially when that place hasn't won as much as it's used to for a while. That's a ton of pressure. So anything you can do to manufacture pressure between those two yeah. to compete every day, I'm 100% in favor of. And, and also, I'm not sure we've had a podcast since the whole Kasim Hill situation uh, with him transferring from Maryland to Tennessee as a... Guys 2-0 against Texas. Yeah, as a, as a walk-on. That's a, a nice addition, too, and a guy that you can at least throw into that competition next year, assuming he's still around as a walk-on. That's that's a nice situation to have. Looks like a freaking fullback at that size. He's a big yeah. old boy. Two, what, listed at 232, 234? And something. I believe it. Yeah, he's a big dude. But, yeah, that's, I mean, going into this year, it's not ideal that you've got two guys who've never taken a snap before, and, yeah, that... It, you know, Especially we, we, when your O-line situation is questionable. Yeah. And we've kind of thought all along you know, that if, if Garantano goes down for a long time, they're going to have to play both and sort of let them sort it out on the field just because they don't know how these guys are going to react when the lights go on. My, now, my bet still would be on Brian Maurer because I think they've seen some interesting things from him. Because of your West Coast bias. You just hate Ma- California. Maurer's not from no, West I'm not saying he hates. I'm anti-West Coast, apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, just hate, you hate Californians, apparently. You're, you're cussing all over this podcast. You're hating people from the West Coast. Sure. Ryan, we need to sit down and talk about this. <laughs> but uh, I don't know how I feel about this behavior. But but Maurer's mobility is sort of intriguing to them, and I think he's, he's he has some throws, I think, sometimes that make you just think there's another level to his game that he hasn't quite perfected yet, whereas Shroud, I think – I think it's still a little bit farther away, maybe. But that's Shroud makes the best throws of anyone on the roster, uh, and he also by far has the highest percentage of uh, WTF throws yes. of anyone on the roster. Because if you watch him, you'll you watch him out there throwing the route tree every day. Uh, he will throw some of the absolute most beautiful deep passes yeah. that you've seen. They're weighted perfectly. They're right in stride. Just could not hand it to a guy any better, forty or fifty yards down the field. Just unbelievable arm. But Wes, you know and, this, and then and then he will make a throw that it's like, wait, who are you throwing to exactly? Where, where was that going? Yeah. So it's uh, like the, I, I've always said that it's easy to see why projections for him are all over the map. Sure. Because it really just depends on what day and what rep you're watching him. And, and Wes, you know this. We, you've seen enough quarterbacks come and go at Tennessee to see kind of the difference. Quarterbacks are judged by those bad throws. I mean, you're essentially no better than your floor. As, yep. a, as a quarterback, and if you've got a really low floor, coaches are going to be scared away from that because they don't want to have those disastrous games. They yeah. want consistency. Felipe Franks doesn't judge himself by his bad throws. <laughs> no, because, man, and you talk about it. I'm not it, sure what he judges himself by, but when you it's think not reality. About, when you think about that, inter, they had that interception in the final five minutes. They had two PI calls, one on a fourth and 34, which still ranks as maybe the dumbest. And they almost had a I've third until they picked it up. Just I mean, and that was a bang-bang call. I, I don't blame the refs. They probably didn't want to throw a third P.I. I, I think that was probably the right call. It was close. But I also couldn't but help I, but think, you know, if this was a Tennessee game, they wouldn't have picked up the flag. Oh, there's no <laughs> doubt. There's no doubt. Tennessee would have gotten that third P.I. because that's just what the way this that's decade's the gone. That's just that, that's how it is. Uh, but I, I, I thought that was really, really interesting. Uh, but, again, it's the first game. Do you think we see the backup quarterback or both of them in this in this game? I think, it, I think if you're Tennessee, you either play both or you don't play either. I mean, do, do you think it gets out of hand enough, though, that Garantano comes out? I mean, I think there's a chance of that. 
We'll, I think we'll make that, our predictions later in the week, of course. We'll have predictions later in the week, and yeah. we'll know a little bit more about Georgia State. Like right now, we know it's the Panthers because I, <laughs> I was pretty sure when I said that earlier, but not 100% positive. <laughs> West did his research, guys. Yeah. I know enough for both of us, Wes, because I had to do – I wrote something about it. I, I, I got to send the, the better NOFO questions to our to our boy Ben Moore here in our network at 24-7 who covers Georgia State. Yes, we cover Georgia State. We are everywhere. We are everywhere. We got a, we got a BYU site, too. Yeah, we do. We're everywhere, man. We're everywhere. And that helps our network. That helps all of us. Um, speaking of things uh, in our network that we like, do we like the occasional in-house ad still? Sure. Maybe telling you about another great college football podcast or NFL or MLB, Go Cubs, or uh, NFL or, or... Second place Cubs. You know, uh, it's, the season's not over yet. Uh, do we like those ads? Absolutely. Uh, do we like products? Yeah. We like services still? Everybody needs them. Good news for y'all. Hashtag ad. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Now joined by Grant Ramey. He is not at Fort Rucker. He is not in the Fort Rucker studio. He is at the Blunt County Satellite Office in Maryville. What's going on, Grant? Not a lot. I'm recording a podcast. What's going on with you? Uh, I'm doing the same, actually, believe it or not. Uh, Cool. Small world. Yeah, I was watching a really funny television program with my wife, but now we're doing this podcast because that seems like a more enjoyable way to spend a Monday night, in my opinion. I'm sure your wife's happy to just get a review for a minute. That's probably very true. Uh, before we get into some hoops, I do want to say really quickly, we were talking in the last segment about Tennessee football wide receiver Jordan Murphy. Need to mention that uh, he was not at practice Monday, um, and he's not listed on the depth chart for this week, uh, but he's not leaving the program or anything. He's just been under the weather. Uh, apparently he got pretty sick over the weekend uh, and sick enough to where they thought, ooh, we may not need to put him in the depth chart for this game. So obviously he was pretty sick, but – uh, he, he's okay. I don't think there's any long-term concern there. So just thought we would clear that up before we dive into hoops. And Grant, you uh, ha- had an interesting weekend. Looked like you went and did some uh, some basketball interviews. Looked like you brought your little assistant with you, uh, future GoVols 24-7 staffer himself. Uh, how was that? Uh, it was good. Uh, Saturday morning was the uh, – uh, every year, I guess it's been 12 years now, Tennessee, uh, the men's and women's basketball programs have have helped out. Uh, have been really one of the bigger parts of uh, the Hoops for Hope event uh, in West Knoxville. And it started out as an Eagle Scout project. It basically benefits uh, kind of the Down syndrome community in Knoxville, gives a chance for those people living with that uh, syndrome to get out there and and to interact with these Tennessee basketball players and they get out on the floor and uh, get to play with them and all that stuff. It's always a really good crowd and uh, it's a really, really good event and kind of kicks off – uh, go time uh, when, when that event's happening you know it's about to be football season uh, regular season starting and then you go straight into basketball so that's kind of like the first big 
uh, back on campus, uh, it's time to go and, and start wor- working a little bit. So, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, and it seemed like there was a, a lot that came up from that. I mean, obviously, Tennessee basketball, uh, we all know the, the story going into this season. You know, there, there's this huge recruiting class on the way next season. Uh, but a lot of guys, uh, four guys to be exact, have gone on to the National Basketball Association from last season's Tennessee team. So a lot of shoes to fill. Of course, some some touted prospects are in this class, not least of which being Josiah Jordan-James, the five-star point guard prospect. We'll get to him in a minute. Uh, but I do want to begin with another one of Tennessee's uh, newcomers. Uh, I don't want to say a, a newcomer to college basketball because he spent his first season at Arizona State, but he has transferred in. Uh, the big seven-footer, Yurosh Plavsic, uh, actually went to high school in Chattanooga, um, but he was born in Europe, and he is a guy who uh, Tennessee is hoping to get eligible. Grant, what's the latest on that? Well, Rick Barnes, uh, he did a he did a segment with WNML. They always, they always broadcast kind of on, uh, on location for that Hoops Rope event every year. Uh, and he was asked about Euros, and and if you'll remember back in I guess it was late June they did the annual, or the, the every, every summer they do the SEC basketball coaches teleconference, uh, and he was asked Rick was asked about it on that call, uh, and he basically said, you know, pretty straightforward they expect Euros to be eligible immediately if anybody should benefit uh, from this waiver process, somebody that's trying to get back kind of closer to home who's who's leaving their school because of uh, coaching changes, which uh, that applies to Euros at Arizona State. Uh, after assistant coach uh, was left the program, uh, Rick said basically we'll be surprised if he if he's not eligible. That this kind of waiver process uh, exists for people like him. And he was asked to get about it again on Saturday. We haven't spoken to him uh, since that June session on the phone, and he kind of walked it back a little bit. And it sounds like they still expect him uh, to be cleared, but he kind of said the NCAA, you know, has a ton of these waivers come across their desk, and they kind of work through the Olympic sports, football, and all that stuff, and they kind of get to it as they get to it. Uh, and he said they expected it to be more like October before they uh, get a ruling on whether or not Euros will be sitting out or whether he'll be eligible immediately. And obviously uh, kind of early October is when they do media day. That's kind of when they get their uh, preseason practices rolling. And then late in October, usually around Halloween, is when they have an exhibition game. And then early November, they get the regular season schedule started. So uh, that might be pushing a little bit, but... Uh, they didn't sound nervous. They still sound like they're going to get this guy eligible, and obviously they need him. Uh, they need that guy, seven foot one, to protect the rim and to be somebody they can count on down low because they have so many questions uh, down low. After they lost, uh, you know, Kyle Alexander, Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams, so many big bodies, so many guys that did stuff down low, and and now they're kind of starting over, and they need to start over with him. Well, the good news is, to, you know, the NCAA has been really, really quick in getting this Aubrey Sullivan thing handled, so. Uh, you know they're 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 probably in really good shape there getting that done. Right. It's uh it's it's basically the only update is uh, we're still waiting. Everybody's waiting on the NCAA whether it's Aubrey whether it's Euros. Uh, if you're a Tennessee fan and you've you're you've got a question about a ruling, uh, get in line because the NCAA is not in a hurry to do anything. You know, we we mentioned this a little bit earlier about Josiah Jordan James, and this is a kid who going through the recruiting process. Uh, he, he really impressed everyone, and he, he's not just a kid who impresses with his basketball ability. This has always been a pretty sharp kid. In fact, I had a chance to uh, to speak with some of the people uh, who were kind of around his official visit when he came in to visit Tennessee, 
And the, some of the people who were, you know, taking them around campus, you know, he and his family were, were basically like, I, I, we didn't need to tell this kid anything. He had done his homework. He knew about the campus. He knew about the, some of the traditions. Uh, he just, he seemed to be one of the smartest kids any of them had ever kind of shown around campus. So uh, he's clearly a kid who has impressed a lot of people. And, and we knew that about his basketball ability. Um, but it seems, again, like he's just really, really, really impressive when this kid speaks. What did he tell you over the weekend? He said something that I thought was really, really interesting. Yeah, he's he's really uh, polished. I mean, he got here, I think May 8th was the date he told us. So he's been here, you know, going on, what, four months now. Uh, and he, he, he just sounds like a 10-year NBA vet. When he talks, I mean, he does not sound like a freshman. Uh, he doesn't look like a freshman. He doesn't sound like – I don't think he plays like a freshman, but – you know, we were talking to him about the whole point guard thing, and he was kind of recruited as a combo guard, uh, but he wants to be a point guard. He's always played point guard. Uh, even though he's got that wing frame at 6'6", 200, people always try to kind of force him off the ball. Uh, but he's learning point guard uh, under Rick Barnes, and he's talked about how difficult that was. But he, he basically said, you know, and this was something his high school coach had, had harped on in the past. He would rather finish a game with 10 assists than score 20 points. He would rather set people up. Uh, and get other people open and, and, and get the ball to the right person at the right time and, and make the right decision, the right play, all that stuff, uh, ahead of scoring himself. And, and, and back when he committed, uh, talking to his high school coach about kind of what who this kid was and, and what he brings to the table, uh, going into Josiah's senior year, his coach basically had to say, we need you to score uh, to be the best team that we can be. And he basically had to kind of talk him out. Uh, of sharing the basketball quite as much as he wanted to. So I think that's the mentality he takes to Tennessee. And obviously it's a, it's a much different animal because you're surrounded by such a different talent level, obviously uh, in the SEC playing in this program uh, than you all, uh, ever were uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. So it's going to be fun to watch or interesting to watch kind of how he adapts a point guard, uh, how much he kind of tries to do himself and how much he tries to share the basketball because uh, that's the first thing on his mind. Yeah, that's really interesting because you think about it, and so, with so many kids, it, it's tough to get them to understand that they're not 100% the man when they get to the college level because there are other talented guys on that team, you know, that there are some older guys, guys who've been around, and, and how you don't necessarily need to be the guy who's sitting there taking – you know, 20 shots a game. Um, but Josiah Jordan-James has been the kind of kid who, even when he played on his high school team, I mean, it's one thing when you're on the summer circuit, when you're playing for Team USA, all the different stuff he's done, you're going to play with other really, really ridiculously talented guys. But even for his high school team, there any point he went to a good school, but he's still obviously the man there as a five-star prospect. And, and he still didn't try to force the issue then, which to me is interesting because is he too unselfish? I'm almost starting to wonder that because it's like, if you're really talented, you, you might want to put the ball in the bucket. Yeah. And, and if there's anybody uh, you want to learn under as a point guard, you're not going to get under a more intense uh, kind of microscope than, than what Rick Barnes is going to be uh, kind of having you under. And, and we asked him about kind of how, how difficult that's been uh, to, to kind of learn the point guard under a, under a head coach who, who dogs his point guards as much as he does. Uh, and, and he's he's been fortunate to have Lamonte Turner, who, who's kind of been out this summer, uh, kind of getting 100% healthy, trying to get those those nagging injuries that slowed him down uh, last season kind of and help those be in the past a little bit. Uh, and in doing so, Lamonte has, has, has taken Josiah under his wing a little bit and tried to uh, kind of watch his game and give him pointers on how he needs to succeed and, and how he can be better in this Tennessee uh, offense and how he can be better. Uh, at this level and, and that's, that's a pretty huge thing uh, 
Josiah is as talented as he is. Uh, this is a really young, really basically inexperienced basketball team. Uh, but for Josiah, he has guys on his tips like Jordan Bowden and Lamonte Turner, uh, a fifth-year senior and a, a multiple-year starter and another senior in Jordan Bowden. Uh, that's pretty huge for them moving forward. Yeah, it's funny. I've noticed that, you know, kind of being out around town, I mean, not to mention just the, like the Go Balls 24-7 checkerboard and, and being on social media, but even just kind of being around town the past couple of years and talking to people, it's always surprised me that a lot of people don't understand that Lamonte Turner has kind of been the alpha on this team for a while now, even with all those NBA guys. I mean, we all, we all knew Admiral was a clutch performer. Grant Williams was a clutch performer, you know, that this stuff was known but Lamonte Turner still was kind of the big shot guy on that team and he's the guy who uh, works as hard as anybody in that program he's the guy who puts in as much time as anybody in the program and uh, he's one of the feistiest competitors on that team if not the most and and that's not just now I'm talking for the past couple years and it's always been interesting to me that that a lot of people just don't seem to understand that that he might be the most competitive dude in that program and I think this team's in pretty good hands from a leadership standpoint with him. I, I really do. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and, and the thing about Lamonte, and he, we talked to him as well on Saturday, he's been here literally since the ground floor, since day one of the Rick Barnes era. He oh, was yeah, he's, on a, he, he's a day oneer. He's a day oneer. Right. He was on roster with Devin Bachman and Kevin Punter and uh, Armani Moore and, and Derek Reese and all those guys. It feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, but he was a freshman. He didn't play on the team. He wasn't ruled eligible for Rick's first year, uh, and that's why he's a fifth-year senior now. Uh, and in hindsight, Tennessee's pretty fortunate to have it play out that way. Uh, but, yeah, he's he's 100% a dog. I don't know how many times over the years we've referred to him as dog. He's the guy that uh, – he, he's that big shot, uh, big shot artist, whether he makes them or misses them. He wants the ball in his hand. He wants to thrive in that moment, and, and more often than not, he does thrive in that moment. And, yeah, the, he's the old guy. He's the veteran in the room, him and Jordan Bowden. This is their team. They know they're the example. Uh, and to their credit, uh, and I think a lot of credit to that goes to Kevin Punter. I think Kevin kind of took Lamonte under his wing, and everybody remembers the attitude that Kevin had uh, as a guy that wanted the ball in his hand, that, guy, that wanted to be the alpha male, kind of wanted to be the guy that, uh, that drove the engine or, or the engine that made this team go, I should say. Uh, but this is their team, and to their credit, this this group has come in, and, and this is another thing Rick said Saturday. They've they've adapted to the expectation and, and the standard that everybody kind of knows in that program that uh, you're going to come in, you're going to work, you're going to do the extra stuff, you're going to do whatever is asked of you, uh, and then some uh, to make this a, a really good Tennessee basketball team because that's what they've built their program on, a ton of work. Uh, they, they This player development stuff that everybody raves about, it doesn't just happen. Uh, with you know magic dust they sprinkle them over on the practice floor it takes a ton of work uh, a ton of off-season stuff in the summer and I think they've bought into that and I think that's uh, because you have people like Lamonte and, and people like Jordan Bowden uh, kind of setting the tone yeah and, and here's my question though and, and we've mentioned this a little bit and, and I think this is going to be at least in, in my opinion I think it's going to be a, a talking point a lot going into this season is you know is Jordan Bowden does he have that kind of leadership trait to him because I mean I, I think we we've all known I mean those of us who have known the kid for years now know he's just an unbelievable kid he's a fantastic kid he, he's he's uh he's incredibly nice he's polite to everybody he, he's just he's just a, he's a good kid and is he the kind of guy though because he's always kind of happy to to be Robin he doesn't really have that Batman trait I, I don't know if he has that can he develop that is that something that that he can be a leader and not just a leader by example can he actually go out there and and kind of make some of those kind of tough leadership 
decisions that those guys have to make? I think that's a question that kind of hangs there until we kind of see the answer on the floor. Uh, and you're right about he's fine being the Robin. Uh, the problem is, you know, four of his Batman are in the NBA right now. Uh, and the guys that the ball would go to a lot, Grant Williams, uh, Admiral Schofield, what Jordan Bone would do, bring the ball down and, and scoring. Uh, that stuff's gone. He, he's not, he doesn't have that to lean on. Lamonte's back, obviously, and that's a, that's that's going to have to be some consistent production. Uh, Josiah is obviously a talented player, uh, and I think he'll live up to the billing in terms of how he was rated as a prospect. Uh, but other than that, it's going to rely on Lamonte. It's going to rely on Josiah. It's going to rely a ton on Jordan Bowden, whether he likes that or not. Uh, they're, they're, I think this is the – 100% the emphasis for him over the offseason is to be that guy and to take over and, and to shoot the ball when you're open. Uh, there was a video, I think it was Bowden, maybe on Bowden's Instagram the other day, where uh, he was kind of recording Kim English on the bench, kind of just messing around with him. But what Kim English was telling him in that moment was, when you're open, shoot the ball. Uh, and I think that's going to be an emphasis, a big-time emphasis for him going forward is to kind of take over and, and try to get what is his because it's going to be there. And uh, you don't know what you're getting in the post with all these new guys, all these new faces. Uh, you don't know what you're getting uh, out of Josiah point guard yet. So it's going to rely on Lamonte. It's going to rely on Jordan Bowden a ton. He has to go out there and he has to seek his just like Lamonte seeks his. Yeah, I wonder if there's going to be times in, in preseason practice and if it's not already happened where, where Rick Barnes has days where, you know, any time Bowden passes up a shot in practice that he should be putting up, he's going to stop the practice and make him run. Or, or something like that. I just wonder if he's going to find a way to drill that into him because you're right. There have been times in the past where when you have guys like Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams, it, it, it's one thing to when you have those kind of guys on your team to sit there and maybe turn down a decent look thinking they're going to get a better look from closer to the bucket. Uh, if Jordan Bowden has a clean look at the rim, he has got to put up the shot. He cannot, he, he cannot just be selective anymore. That's just not going to cut it. So, I think that's going to be really, really interesting because I, th I think we all know that, you know, Jordan Bowden's a really good basketball player. Uh, the problem is I think Jordan Bowden is a better basketball player than Jordan Bowden thinks Jordan Bowden is. I've always thought that there is another level to that kid's game that he just, for whatever reason, I don't know if he believes it, um, but there are times when he can just take over a game and he's got to get to that on a consistent basis because this team needs it. I mean, Lamonte is going to put up his points. We know that he's going to put up his shots. We know that. Um, he's probably going to play most games until his legs fall off, but they need Bowden too. Yeah, and, and another thing to consider is just how different this team's going to have to play. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that motion offense. You can't go through the post uh, the way they've wanted to go through the post in the past. There's, there's not going to be a uh, dumping it down to Grant Williams and that guy just kind of bulldogging his way, bulldogging his way into a bucket. Or there's not going to be, you know, get the ball to Admiral and hope he can create something off the bounce. Or, you know, or even run some kind of something for Kyle to get a lob at the rim or something like that. Uh, that stuff's gone. You know, maybe maybe Euros can, cons uh, if he's eligible, maybe he can consist, uh, produce at a consistent level. You know, you don't know what you're going to get from Olivier Nakamua uh, until you see that from him for a while. It's going to be how quickly uh, can this starts, uh, you know, click for him. Uh, and it's all these guys. I mean, Zach Kent, you, you got to get something out of him, but obviously we haven't seen him in two years, so who knows what you're getting there. Uh, you just go down the list. They're going to have to go through these guards. They're going to have to go through Lamonte and Jordan and, and even Josiah. Uh, they're going to have to run the floor a ton, and that, that, that benefits a guy that's as athletic as Jordan Bowden. Uh, so it's not only uh, can he change this mentality 
kind of that he's had the last, you know, three seasons. It's can he change that mentality while also it being a, a much more guard oriented game uh, for this Tennessee basketball team, just based on the personnel. It, it's funny to me. There are so many things that are, that are so different between football and basketball, just with the cultures and the way that the coaches talk about things and don't talk about things. I was just thinking about this uh, just a minute ago. If you, you think about, you know, a football coach, if you try to ask them going into a season, kind of what their mentality or the way they're going to play, they're going to look at you like, why am I going to say anything about that? I'm going to go out there. We, we, you, want to, we, you want us to give you the playbook? Uh, and that's just how they are. And then you ask Rick Barnes, and he's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to play through the guards. There's no question. Uh, I mean, he just he doesn't care. He'll go out there and tell you, um, yeah, have you seen the roster? We're going to, we're going to play through the guards. Uh, you know, he's just always been like that. He's so upfront with things like that that it's just, again, it's just a different world, isn't it? Yeah, and it's just, you know, we've talked about this in the past. They're just wired differently. Uh, basketball players and football players, and, and it goes to football coaches and basketball coaches as well. They're they're wired uh, differently, and and they don't really. I mean, basketball coaches just you know, there's not a ton of filter between whatever's going on in their head and what's coming out of their mouth. I mean, there there was a question to Barnes kind of a, about this new look team, and kind of uh, you, you don't want it just to be a bridge year to the next roster because as Jordan Bowden and Lamonte Turner have given you too much of a uh, over the last few years to this program and help build it. You don't want this, this season to be wasted or, or to look, be looked over. Uh, but the fact is, and, and this is what he said, they basically have four guys that have started for them at some point in the past, being uh, Bowden, Lamonte, uh, Eve Pond, and, and John Fulkerson. And it's kind of going to go through those four guys a little bit in terms of, of how this team's carried. And then outside of that, it's going to be how quickly all these other new faces uh, can kind of figure it out. And, and, and do so consistently and, and produce at a consistent level. That, that's the crazy thing is they're going to rely on a lot of these newcomers to, to do something at a consistent level when that's pretty difficult to do uh, in college basketball, especially uh, for a program that expects so much that as obviously Tennessee expects after the last couple seasons. So uh, Olivier Nakahua, Eros Plavsic, those guys we've, we've mentioned, even Zach Kent, uh, they're going to have to figure stuff out quickly and, and kind of get adjusted to this stage because, uh, Tennessee needs needs them to do something quickly and, and help them have a really good year. Yeah, that, that trio from the very exotic lands of uh, Serbia and Norway and uh, Delaware. <laughs> you know, all, all, all basically all those big foreign countries, you know. You we, need a passport to get all of them. I think you actually, it, I think it costs you about $10 a, a mile to drive through Delaware, it seems like. They, they've got the whole toll road thing figured out uh, pretty pretty well there. Um, but I think it's interesting, Grant, because I think you could, you could wonder if maybe, you know, you mentioned Eve Pons. I mean, that's a guy who maybe having to do something is going to force that out of him. Maybe he can kind of channel that form that he has every time he puts on a French jersey. I mean, maybe maybe he can. Maybe there's another level there. I, I think that that we don't think of him as a guy who's ever going to be like a 15 point scorer or anything average. But hey, I mean, who knows? The kid's got all the ability in the world. Yeah, and I think given kind of the differences in the posts between last season and this season, I think they'll rely on him a little bit more as a four. Uh, opposed to a three uh, and I guess that goes back to a little bit to Jalen Johnson too he's a guy that kind of gets looked over uh, he's somebody that's going to have to fill some big shoes and, and do some good stuff tons on the wing. of offensive skill right as they try to replace Admiral Schofield and yeah the skills there and there's it seems like a lot of upside and ceiling we just haven't seen it uh, he hadn't had a ton of opportunities but when he even even if he has had his opportunities it seems like he doesn't fully take advantage of them so it's going to be interesting to see what kind of player he is and, and how he can produce for them. And yeah, and, and Eve 
his offense has just never looked confident at all. He, he's worked a ton on his jump shot. He's a kid that puts in a ton of time. Free Barnes always talks about how hard he works. I think he likes these European players because of their work ethic that they bring to the United States with them. Uh, but it still just doesn't feel like it clicks on the offensive end for him. Maybe it does at some point. Uh, it remains to be seen. But really, all he has to do is defend, be a really good defender, and be a really good rebounder and block some shots. Uh, protect the rim a little bit. I mean, that's something we've said pro- probably for a year and a half now on these podcasts. Just play defense, just rebound, just protect the rim, uh, swat some shots, and, and just kind of be the freak that you are, and you don't have to rely on a ton of offense. But uh, you, you know this is a much different team just based on the size. I mean, a uh, 7'1 center, a 6'11 guy in Zach Kent. Uh, the, the, this is a really big basketball team, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the pieces all fit together. Yeah, and I think you mentioned that about the European players. I think the one thing about them that, that I always think of is the word sacrifice. They've already sacrificed a lot to play this game uh, because think about at that age, I mean, you, all, you think like, oh, man, it'd be great to go visit another country, but you're also picking up your stuff and leaving thousands and thousands of miles sometimes to go play the game, and that's a heck of a sacrifice to play the game. So you know those guys are coming in for a reason, and that's another reason why I like those guys. But Yeah, and it's, 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 you can find a lot of talent over there, obviously, uh, and they've, they've found some interesting talent. Uh, and it's kind of been put together on this roster. It's going to be it's going to be fun to see kind of how these guys play out and uh, how they develop. They they've kind of uh, under Rick Barnes, this program has has really kind of enjoyed kind of being the kind of the underdog, the the, the team that not a ton is expected from. Uh, obviously, that's not the case really last season or, or the last half of the year before that. But uh, here they are back again, kind of being the team that's just kind of middle of the road in the SEC, or whatever. Nobody really knows what to expect from them. So it's going to be interesting to see how those new guys kind of adapt to that if, if the player development stuff is, is still there at a crazy rate like it has been in the past and uh, just kind of what this program looks like as it, as it tries to kind of keep going based on what it's done in the past. Oh, yeah, they're going to play that undercard role again because they're going to they're gonna have a chance to, so they're actually going to play it. So, yeah, I think they're going to make a, make a lot of hay out of that one. But we shall see. And Grant, thanks for giving us a few minutes tonight. It's a, it's a shame that you couldn't be back for the first uh, in person for the first episode back in the ancestral home that is uh, the Fort Rucker studio, but but there's always next week. It gives you another week to get the plaque ready to name the studio after me. That's true. We could have the uh, the, the Grant Ramey seat. We'll have one. We'll have one for you. We'll get the plaque next week. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, thanks, buddy. See ya. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Goval's 24-7 podcast. That was uh, myself and Grant Ramey talking a little bit about football, a lot about basketball, and a lot about life. Life lessons. What a boring segment that was. From the Penn and Teller of Tennessee basketball coverage. I've heard, I've heard better. That's what we are. We're Penn and Teller. Uh, before we get out of here, I, I am going to mention this. Um, hate comes from places you don't expect it sometimes. <laughs> and I have recently learned, I have learned through sources close to the situation that there is uh, a certain family member of a certain person in this Fort Rucker studio right now who thinks I suck at this. 
And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I am not above criticism. I know that I'm not technically gifted as an orator uh, or as a writer or as really anything. I can't even walk downstairs properly. But, uh, Pat, why, 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 is the, why is the missus hating on it? Why, why, is, she, why is she hating on it? I, you'll have to ask her. I'm not talking about this. I'm just going to take this opportunity to point out that uh, my wife is being super supportive and listening to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, right. and none of y'all's wives are. So My wife listens. So shout out to my wife. And I you know what? My wife said everybody's great. So my wife thinks everybody is super, super great, and she thinks we're doing a great job. <laughs> well, my wife is opinionated, and she thinks that I'm amazing, and y'all are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. She said, can't listen when I speak. That's Now listen, I know that these are not soothing in her, tones here. In her in her defense, she's probably not the only one who thinks you sound bad. Oh God, I, I don't <laughs> think did, I sound didn't good. You, didn't you send us a uh, a review that was like one star and was like, "Wes sounds terrible." Yeah, we got a lot of five star reviews. Which, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, do us a solid. Subscribe to it. Don't just don't just stream it off the site. Go 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 download it at all the places you can download it. The uh, that's Spotify, obviously the iTunes app, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. We're everywhere, man. We're on all of them. You and, can, and and go do it and go rate it because the rating, nothing that you can do to help. The, there's nothing you as a as a listener can do more to help this podcast than one, listen to it, two, download it, three, rate it. Rating it is really important. Rating it lets other people know about it, so we can add to the Wolf Pack. And apparently, we'll have more people then to balance out the fact that uh, there's some hate now coming in. I mean, it's understandable. But the, no, the, the one star review because of my voice was a good one. I, yeah. I appreciate it. So yeah. I'm just saying, my wife is not. She's not. Unless she was the one doing the rating. No, she Pro- wasn't. Props to her to li- for listening, though. Without, I mean, did you even tell her she should listen sometime? Or no, she, just... she she's kind of gotten into podcasts lately, oh, just of okay. all kinds, and so she decided that she would listen to this one. I and my first con- my first response was. Why? I mean, <laughs> she she's not like a super huge football fan. She kind of, I mean, she she likes Tennessee football. She doesn't like that Tennessee football takes me away from her. Yeah, true. so often um, she likes it for the event more so. She than doesn't the sport. like that she has to spend her Saturdays pretty much by herself because because games and yeah. whatever. Um, but I was just like, why 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 would you do that? I don't even. I so so she. I don't like listening to myself talk or anything like that. So I'm just like, I and you know how she's venting her frustration by coming at me, bro. <laughs> Hey, this is probably, in your, in your it, defense, Wes. She, she she didn't she wasn't exactly throwing out the compliments for Ryan and Grant when he's on here either. Yeah, so but I've that, heard. Yeah, but I, that, that's normal. I mean, I, I would expect that they both are terrible. Uh. I, that's that's what I would expect. <laughs> but but I'm just saying that you I sound have, like Felipe, right? I now. have never <laughs> I have never done anything but be very very supportive of uh, your beautiful wife and your great marriage. You have a wonderful, beautiful dog. You got a really nice life. Y'all are this nice, you know, pretty blonde family. You got a thing going on there. <laughs> And I have been nothing but supportive. That's and true. I got to tell you, I um, I, I think I think your wife and I have a we ha- we need to have a talk. Is there, all right, I'll set I, it up. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm say, listen, it, well, maybe we'll have her on the podcast. We could, we could, and be like, listen, maybe after the season, we'll have a why, 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 why has this happened? Why, why the hate? Why, why, why the hate? Now, now, if she just says, I don't have any problem with you personally. I just think, technically speaking, your voice makes me want to run my car into a brick wall. And I would say, well, I would. That's I've an interesting. D- uh, and I would say I've done that with a rental car, so that's, that's okay. really good. That's an interesting metaphor you chose there, Wes. Yeah, <laughs> run, after running the uh, Dodge uh, Avenger or whatever it was. Uh, the, and Wes, this is probably a good time to mention here too that uh, with without getting into too many of the specifics, uh, we should thank all of our listeners for listening to the podcast because the the early returns have been very positive yeah we are on we are on track and some of them apparently might be hate listens but we we are on track and he he listens a good listen right yeah yeah we are we are we are 
on track for our greatest month we have ever had. I'm not going to give out specifics, but I'll tell you this. We are on track for uh, the biggest month that we've had so far. And thank you to everyone who listens. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Maybe there's a filter we can work on for some voices. We'll hire actors. I don't know. We'll see what the budget <laughs> has. Uh, but I've thought about ordering some uh, some friend of the pod T-shirts uh, to give away and yeah. do some other things because this is this thing is growing and it's growing because y'all are wonderful and you probably care more about Tennessee football than you ever do about us. But you know what? Uh, we'll take that. That's fine. That's uh, that's. And we thank you for picking us to be your avenue. Yes. Sort of into following Tennessee football as much as you do. And That's we're right. tr- and we're trying to do our best here. We're we're we've beefed up the equipment. Uh we've because it was necessary, we've rebuilt the studio here. Wes or, rebuilt his house just was, to do it. Because yeah. it was necessary. I, that's, I, 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 it I, wasn't necessary for the podcast, flood, but that's another story. We, we flooded the house, maybe, so we could just build or rebuild the studio here on the uh, on the top floor of Fort Rucker. But uh, we're going to have things going. We might have a video component of this thing later on. There's all sorts of if possibilities. you think we sound bad, just wait till you look at us no, while we I, talk. That's, that's not going to help me with your wife at all. <laughs> She's like, now I have to look at him? This is too much. This is too much. I will throw out there, though, that my wife is very supportive of all of us, including you, Ryan. And That's I don't, and hard I don't to know believe. Why. don't know why. You know who's not supportive of us? Well, Grant's not supportive of us because he's not here. That's true. He was on the podcast, but he had to join us from the Blunt County Satellite Office because, again, he is worthless. And, again, we apologize for this week, but we we usually will be on this Monday-Thursday schedule. Um, we yeah. got a little bit off that this week because of the Bryce Thompson news, but yeah. Yeah, there was reasons why we had to do that. So normally we're going to be Monday mornings and Thursday mornings, but we had to make sure that we had accurate information about the Bryce Thompson thing before we released one quick one and then another quick one afterward to clarify. Yeah. That would have been that would have been a mess. So we're doing it this way. You're going to get on Tuesday morning this week, but we will be back on Thursday morning. Uh, we'll be back before then if we need to be, um, but before then you can go listen to all of us all the time on this podcast feed. Go back, download it, rate it, start, do all that stuff. You can also find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker, 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown, 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan, 24-7 on Twitter. Uh, and you can find all of us. Well, I guess I should say Grant Ramey's Grant Ramey on Twitter, but he's not here, so screw him. Uh, but he does do a great job with our Facebook page, so good job for that, Grant. Facebook.com slash GoVols247. Grant does an excellent, excellent job on that Facebook page. Pat helps out, too, there. Uh, so good job there, guys. You can go to Twitter.com slash GoVols247, or you can go straight to the source, drink straight from the hose, GoVols247.com. Right now you can get 30% off of an annual subscription. We've got Tennessee football, basketball, football recruiting, basketball recruiting, baseball, Lady Vols basketball, Lady Vols softball. We got everything on the site all the time. GoVols247.com. Be there or um, or you're terrible at life. Pat, any final thoughts? Braves. <laughs>